This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and across from me is Mr. Charles Chuck Thompson, coming at you on a very fine, mostly white pill Wednesday. Hope everyone's in a great mood. How are you doing today, Chuck? I'm feeling as optimistic as I've ever felt. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. I didn't expect that. I, I know. That's why I, was, I was just wanted to throw you off. You know what's not optimistic but we're gonna persevere you might notice as you listen to the podcast today that there's this weird background noise going on and we hear it too in fact we hear it a lot louder than you do because the people across the hall are i don't know what they're doing i don't know if they're sanding if they're just air blasting each other over there i'm not real sure what's going on maybe they're cleaning out the uh the duct work i'm not sure what's going on but it's super loud even though we have really good soundproofing here in the studio we are still connected by the ventilation between the buildings and there's it's just like this big old box of sound coming down into the room right now if you're not watching on video nate's looking up with his hands he's not sure big, what to do with his hands big box because of sound up yeah. here yeah Anyway, so that's what's Just going on. Pouring in, and so you know what, like you, like you said, it's white. It's mostly white pill Wednesday, so we're going to persevere through this thing, because guess who deserves an episode? You do. All of you do. Kind and we of. appreciate every single one of you for sharing the show, hanging out with us on Good Morning Liberty, a place where we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. Monday wasn't a day that we wanted to, Mm-mm. but today is a day. And uh, go to joingml.com. That's joingml.com to be part of the live group and hang out with us so we can talk about meaningless things before and after the show. Good. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Uh, Charlie, you got the first story. Let's go. Oh, for White Pill. Here we go. Uh, this is from cnet.com, a place where we get all of our tech stuff here. Yeah. Spotify grew to 182 million subscribers even as hashtag cancel Spotify trended. Hmm. How about that? Netflix goes down, Spotify go up. Spotify added 2 million new subscribers in the first quarter to hit 182 million paying members at the end of March, the music streaming service said Wednesday. Spotify also said 422 million people use its service at least once a month, which includes people who listen free with advertising. That's up 19% from a year earlier. The latest figures coincide with the period that hashtags like cancel Spotify were trending, sparked by artists' protests over COVID mis- misinformation on Joe Rogan's popular podcast. But Spotify is also, uh, was also hit by a loss of 1.5 million subscribers because the service stopped operating in Russia, one of many companies that pulled out of the country following its invasion of Ukraine. So they lost 1.5 million subscribers and still gained 2 million. Mm-hmm. That's a net benefit of 3.5 million. Now, what I mean, 
I know that we're just about through this story, but everyone, I'm sure everyone understands why this is a white pill for us. It's not because we're big fans of Spotify. I didn't, I never started using Spotify until Joe Rogan you, went on there. You I know? thought you liked tech growth. Yeah. I'm just real pumped about <laughs> tech growth and stocks. Uh, you know, you know, what's interesting with this news. They're down about 10% today and the news at the bottom which you normally will see like, oh, here's this reason they did this, but their guidance for Q2 wasn't very good. The news on Spotify says we find no justification for why Spotify stock is down 10% today after their earnings release. Besides insiders are selling. Yeah, <laughs> that's about like it. That. Anyway. Um, it's a good time to sell. Uh, because a lot of people are going to come in and buy all the shares you're selling. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. This I actually bought some today. In late January, singer-songwriter Neil Young triggered a debate about the service's role in moderating the messages promoted on its service as he pulled his music from Spotify over objections to COVID-19 vaccine misinformation on Rogan's podcast. Young's boycott came after hundreds of medical professions, um, I think it should be professionals, pointed mm -hmm. to Rogan as they called on Spotify to tackle COVID misinformation more aggressively, which by the way, COVID doesn't exist anymore. So I don't even know why these people were so upset. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Time. It was back in January. Rogan killed it actually. Yeah. It's gone. Mm -hmm. the, the reason I see this as a white pill, by the way, is because I do feel I'm going to be optimistic here because it's white pill Wednesday. We keep seeing these signals in the market that actually people aren't as crazy as Twitter makes them seem, you know, you pretty much see the craziest five percent of the country or of the world that are out there saying stuff all the time or all the woke employees make yeah. it out to be as well yeah you know, true calling like take look at the two examples you have spotify and disney mm -hmm. okay spotify employees called on their ceo to condemn rogan and pull him from the show and he said nah, not gonna do it okay we'll put a label on there you know whatever but we're not pulling the show okay and then the ceo of disney was like, yeah, we're not going to take a stance on this Florida bill. And the employees were like, yeah, you're going to take a stance. And he's like, okay, I'll take a stance. And then the legislator's like, okay, well, now you lose your special privileges. So look, two different options. And to Nate's point, the market is really deciding what's happening here. And it should give you some hope mm -hmm. that maybe there are uh, quite a few people out there that actually believe in the truth and believe in, even if they disagree with Rogan's opinion, believe that he should still be allowed to have that opinion or have people on his show that have those opinions who are medical experts in their field. Uh, so anyway, I think all we're seeing, what looks like to me is we're seeing an uptrend in the normal C of the market and the downtrend of woke you see it's starting to crumble it's starting to eat itself which we knew was going to happen it's just it's taking longer than expected you're starting to see rationality uh, rewarded in the market that's kind of what i'm seeing i would say rationality uh and logic and logic truth kind consistency. of consistency and truth maybe sometimes yeah sometimes not but it's really just you know people should be able to say what they want you shouldn't freak out over the fact that someone's saying something that you don't like in the last month uh, we saw, you know, one of the good examples that we did mention last week, Spotify didn't renew the Obama's podcast, you know, but they were they were fine keeping Rogan on there. We saw what happened with CNN Plus, um, Disney not doing all that great right now. We see Jon Stewart's show failing. We've got plenty of Netflix. examples. We got Netflix crashing a bunch. Some of it might be due to some of their wokeness. 
And then you see Spotify who takes a stand and says, you know what, we're going to keep Rogan on here and he can pretty much just keep saying whatever he wants. And they actually gain people during that time. Pay attention to what the market is saying. Hey, all you, all you crazy politicians out there that just go wherever the wind blows, the people are voting with their dollars right now. Not, not just about, you know, which Twitter post does the best mm -hmm. or anything like that. This is the, the way that people actually want to go. Okay. So yeah, as the live group is saying, this is a this is a win. This a is a win. win. The, the the trade winds of the market mm -hmm. are ever flowing for Sweden freely for Sweden-based company Spotify. It's very pumped about it <laughs> for sure. Well, how do you feel about that as a the songwriter for what Spotify like as, as overall? <laughs> what do you mean, like what they pay for? Yeah, for I mean, musicians, I don't, I don't think it's that bad. You mean what Spotify pays for uh, pays out well, for music for or the what? opportunity that they give people, you know, because you are still a musician. Yeah, I can't I, say former because once a musician, always a musician. You have songs on Spotify that you've helped write, mm -hmm. and I think they pay out fairly based on the amount of money that's coming in. Yeah, uh, I i did have some opinions and still have some opinions about how people feel about uh, music and whether or not you should be able to get it for free or anything like that um maybe some arguments that as we've decided we don't need to pay good money for music anymore uh, the quality of the content has potentially dropped over that time uh, but anyway we don't have to get it that doesn't sound like a white pill all right but spotify as far as what i can tell they pay out fairly uh to the record labels and then the musicians are screwed by the deals that they made with the record labels. But think about the so. good it's done for independent. Artists. Oh yeah. I you mean, can put your music to... up there. I mean, this, you know, with us, would we have been able to do any of the stuff that we did in music? If it wouldn't have been for MySpace and Facebook and, and all that, you know, that we were able to get out there and reach people. Think about how hard it used to be to get your name out there. Mm -hmm. You had to go play at the pizza place by the airport and hope that someone that uh, knew someone that ran a record label would come by and then you can go around tour in the country with your with your one hit wonder until your band eventually breaks up. Mm -hmm. Just explaining the plot of the movie, that thing you do if you didn't, um, yeah, everyone didn't catch that. But that's how hard it used to be, <laughs> you know. We didn't have all the. I mean, there's there's pros and cons. There weren't obviously. enough pizza places. <laughs> that's, that was the problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what it was. Okay, and this, now there's plenty of online pizza places. This uh, this <laughs> next thing I can't figure. It's a it's a white pill wrapped in a dumb bleep. Okay. <laughs> or it's a dumb leaf wrapped on the white pill. I can't figure out which one it is. But overall, it's a good it's a good singular action by Biden. Before you move on. Okay. Can I just say one thing? I I will allow it. From the live group. Okay. Okay. I don't look at the live group on Wednesdays. Okay. They said that they would be interested in a special show where we discuss music. Oh yeah, that'd Our be music cool. Past. Mm -hmm. So that'd be kind of cool for the live group. Yeah. So if you want to hear anything regarding music, Nate and I may do a special episode in the future. Just for those that are subscribed to joingml.com. I thought about doing that. You know, we did that rehumanizing project thing where we did the mm -hmm. long form interviews with people. I thought it'd be cool if we did one where I interviewed you the same way that I interviewed everyone else. And then one where you interviewed me the okay. same way that we interviewed yeah. everyone else sometime. I mean, I had that idea like a year ago. We just, mm. uh, it's been busy. It's on the list. <laughs> I have an idea yeah. where I uh, host, I, I am the moderator between you and Amanda debating. <laughs> That's my that's a great idea. idea. My idea. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a great idea for sure. Okay. Joseph R. Biden, our, our president. You guys remember him? 
because he doesn't. Biden uses clemency powers for the first time. President Biden on Tuesday uses clemency powers for the first time to commute the sentences of 75 drug offenders and issue three pardons, including to the first black Secret Service agent to work on a presidential detail who had long maintained he had been wrongfully convicted. And by the way, this guy, Abraham Bolden, who is now 87, was convicted of trying to sell a copy of of a Secret Service file even after witnesses admitted that they lied for the prosecution during the case. Okay, so that sentence was commuted. Oh. Now, three pardons in there. Like I said, there's some dumb bleep wrapped in white. This, it, I said mostly white pill Wednesday. Okay, this is where it might stray off course just a little bit. All right. Uh, Mr. Biden's top aides described the use of presidential power as part of a broader strategy to overhaul the criminal justice system by relying less on prison to punish nonviolent drug offenders and using employment programs to help prevent the formerly incarcerated from returning to prison. On the same day, Mr. Biden detailed the commutations. Justice and Labor Departments announced a $145 million plan to provide job skills training to federal inmates to help them with employment after they are released. About $5 million will go to the program, and $140 <laughs> million will go to servicing that program. Now, remember, at the same time, he could have, if, if like this is a big issue that they want to work on, he did three pardons. Probably going to work out some more pardons for nonviolent drug offenders if that's like a real big. You're you're talking about commuting the sentences of people that are already not in prison anymore. Okay, just a little bit of a critique there. Well, they can vote now. <laughs> so yeah, if you get rid of that felony, they, yeah. now they can cast their mail-in ballots. The White House <laughs> in a statement that we're going to go down a rabbit hole of links through the New York Times here in a second, and uh, it, it's going to be pretty fun. The White House in the statement also said the Small Business Administration would, in the coming days, publish a rule making it easier for those with criminal records to apply for loans. Apply for loans or receive funding? Well, apparently from the Small Business Administration, if you have a criminal record, that's a ding against you getting a loan from the SBA, I guess. So they're going to announce a rule making it easier. You could just take away the thing in the SBA, to whatever. Right. The, the commutations also appeared to be an effort to compensate drug offenders subjected to harsh sentences rooted in a string of bills that Mr. Biden helped pass during his 36 years in the Senate that laid the groundwork for mass incarceration. They actually printed The New this. York Times said that. Put it in there. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah. Well, he's just coming in to right his wrongs. Weird, but don't worry. I know for a second there you started to think that this was a problem linked to Joe Biden. Okay. I know that for a second your, your mind started to go there. Mm. As we continue, the Justice Department took a step to rely less on federal prison in December by reversing a Trump-era legal opinion that said the Federal Bureau of Prisons would have to return inmates transferred to home confinement during the pandemic back to prison. So they are, they're helping also by reversing a Trump era legal opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so then they're doing that. So you just float on by the fact that mm-hmm. they mentioned that Biden helped. You're like, Oh, but, but literally he literally was the architect mm-hmm. behind putting people in prison in mass. Remember, this is mostly white pill, okay? It's still a good thing that happened to to all of these people. All right. But I wanted to look at this Trump-era legal opinion. Now, luckily, New York Times provided some links, but it wasn't directly to the Trump-era legal opinion. It was two other New York Times stories talking about this. Okay, so remember, you're supposed to remember that 
the Biden administration reversed this op- opinion, and that's what's going to help everyone. Well, the next article that it linked to says that some inmates can stay at home after COVID emergency, the Justice Department says. So this is when they reversed a Trump-era decision that would have sent many of the thousands of inmates released to home confinement during the pandemic back to prison. Ten paragraphs later in the article, they talked about how they were doing this and that uh, people were pressuring Biden to do this when he first took office. They say, but five days before Mr. Biden took office in January, the Justice Department office uh, determined that nearly all those people would need to return to prison once the government said the pandemic no longer constituted an emergency. So it's still Trump's fault for sure, okay? Criminal justice advocates and some lawmakers pressed the new administration to reverse course. But in July, the Biden administration lawyers decided that the Trump-era memo had correctly interpreted this law. Okay, so when, when was that 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 happened? So then we're going to get back to an original article here from the New York Times saying the Biden legal team decides inmates must return to prison after COVID emergency. <laughs> Still from the New York Times right now. So in this, I just so, thought it so, was fun to trace down this rabbit hole of, of events. So first happened. he was like, oh, well, yeah, they they interpreted the law legally. Yeah. Fine. It's, it's all good. And now they're going to reverse their own decision, which is reversing the yeah. Trump era decision of interpreting the law about whether prisoners yeah. have to return to prison yeah. or not. That's yeah, great. Now, this is Perfect. back. This is back um, in, in July of 2021. The Biden legal team has decided that thousands of federal convicts who were released to home confinement to reduce the risk of spreading COVID-19 will be required by law to return to prison a month after the official state of emergency for the pandemic ends. Administration has come under pressure from criminal justice activists and some lawmakers to revoke the Trump era memo, which said inmates uh, whose sentences lasted beyond the pandemic emergency period would have to go back to prison. But the Biden legal team has concluded that the memo correctly interpreted the law, which applies to about 4,000 people. I just... You said it earlier, but it was just kind of interesting to me that in today's New York Times piece, mm-hmm. they're reversing a Trump era decision. They're just playing Uno. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> Draw seven. Now, the white pill is that some people had their their sentences you know, taken away, their, their convictions taken away, and they were nonviolent drug offenses taken away. And that's a good thing for those 75 people that this happened to today. All right. There's probably a lot more. If, in fact, you are setting that principle that those people should not have those convictions on their record, then I think you would need to apply that evenly. In fact, this is an unfair privileged advantage for these 75 people. And therefore, the only fair thing to do would be to put those offenses back on their records. Because, yeah, this is unfair. Other people who have it on theirs. Yeah. Completely unfair. Why take away... Why take away this from their criminal records when other people still have it on theirs? Mm. So, yeah, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to follow today's logic that we have these days. Um, Anyway, let's skip on around to something else. By the way, the Bureau... If you didn't understand that, by the way, go back and take the 24-episode challenge. 24 will cover it. Yeah, Yeah. where we've been talking lately about how when people escape government tyranny... The fairest thing to do would be to put them back under government <laughs> tyranny because other people are still dealing with government tyranny. That's the fairest thing I can think That's, of. Mm, yeah, for sure. That's how as, you get fairness. Mm, mm-hmm. We should also undo all the pardons that happen too, not just the commuting of the sentences. And 
In fact, we should all just go to prison. <laughs> By the way, the Bureau of Prisons... <laughs> so it can be fair. The Bureau of Prisons memo stated that the law said that they only had the authority to have the people in home confinement during the time that there was a COVID emergency because it was inside of the CARES Act. and During therefore, the time of a state emergency. Therefore, yeah. they could not... Uh, keep the people in home confinement, they would have to go back to the prisons after the state of emergency was gone. Otherwise, they'd be violating the law. Yeah. But this is important to, to point out that that happened uh, under a Trump-era Bureau of Prisons. Mm. That way you keep your head on straight. Yeah. <laughs> I picked one that was near and dear to your heart, Charlie, for this next one. Mm, I love it. So let's go on to the hospital this, robots. We like to talk about technology. We do. This comes from Wired, which is Nate's second only to CNET. <laughs> It's Wired's actually my first. CNET was just oh, one that came okay. up. Yeah. For your tech news. Hospital robots are helping combat a wave of nurse burnout. That's, yeah, just nurse burnout. Since February, the nurses at Mary Washington Hospital in uh, Fredericks, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Why does that sound familiar? I feel like we've been there before. Fredericksburg? I'm sure we have. Um, have an extra assistant on their shifts. Moxie. A nearly six-foot-tall robot that ferries medication, supplies, lab samples, and personal items through the halls from floor to floor. After two years of battling COVID-19 and related burnout, nurses say it's been a welcome relief. Hmm. Quote, there's two levels of burnout. There's we're short this weekend burnout, and then there's pandemic burnout, which our care teams are experiencing right now, says a former emergency room nurse. Former emergency room nurse. Yeah. And it's also like not we're short this weekend. It's like we've been short for 50 years. <clears throat> yeah. Burnout. We're always short. We're always short. Moxie is one of several specialized delivery robots. Which is because of capitalism, by the way. Of course. We have to make sure we mention that. Yeah. yeah. So this Moxie, she's uh, she's one of several. Uh, You're not a biologist. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Ugh. I hate to. Yeah. My apologies. Not on a Wednesday, Charlie. I said I would never apologize not for on anything, a Wednesday. but for this... I, yeah, I didn't finish my biologist degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll just, we'll just call it Moxie. Yeah. Robots have rights, Charlie. It's one of several specialized delivery robots that has been developed in recent years to ease the strain on healthcare workers. The world already had a nurse shortage going into the pandemic. Now, roughly two out of three nurses in the U.S. say they have considered leaving the, the profession, and a lot of them have, by the way. In some places, you've seen some of that, right? Mm -hmm. In your in your personal life, a little bit. In some places, a shortage is leading to higher wages for permanent staff and for temporary travel nurses. Not anymore; they're cutting that back. By the way, uh, in countries such as Finland, nurses are demanding better pay and going on strike. But it's also paved the way for more robots in healthcare settings. There's other uh, strikes going on, and by the way, too, mm -hmm. not just in Finland. Mm -hmm. Not just in Finland. Yeah. Also in the United States. <laughs> Finland did seem kind of random to me, as yeah. I mentioned. But In countries such as Finland <laughs> and the United States. Yeah. It, I literally saw one just happen the other day. It was at a university hospital. Um, something like 3,000, I think, 3,000 nurses walked out at 7 a.m. Mm. on the dot. There, That's a lot of nurses in a hospital. I think, <laughs> I think well, it's for this whole university. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure Vanderbilt has like several open positions and they're trying to pay people hefty bonuses to come work for them because of what they, what the verdict was for that. I'm going to go get my nursing degree. Oh, because of the, that thing. Yeah. Right. We never yeah. talked about that. We didn't. 
Yeah. We didn't talk about that. So, but we have Moxie. I have no fear. At the forefront of this trend is Moxie, which sounds like a drug, by the way. Yeah. I am Moxie Cotton <laughs> <laughs> at your service, <laughs> which has spent the pandemic rolling down the halls with some of the largest hospitals in the country carrying objects like a smartphone or a beloved teddy bear to patients in emergency rooms when COVID-19 protocol kept family members from bedsides. And hopefully they brought turkey sandwiches. Which too. is terrible, by the way, keeping family members away from their family members' bedsides. But maybe you could record a message on Moxie. It's Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moxie was created by Diligent Robotics, a company founded in 2017 by Vivian Chu, a former Google X researcher, and Andrea Tomas, who developed Moxie while working as an associate professor at the University of Texas at Austin. The first Moxie commercial deployment came months after the start of the pandemic. There's about 15 of them and 60 scheduled to deploy. Quote, what we saw over the last two years is that almost every single healthcare system is thinking about robotics and automation or has robotics and automation on their strategic agenda. By the way, that's not just for healthcare system. That's literally the entire world. <clears throat> yeah. Every every single industry is thinking about automation okay mm -hmm. because if you're not automating things then you're losing you will lose especially uh, w with what we just went through now that's a bit of a black pill on top of that because some people worry about robots taking their jobs you know um but the the thing that i find nice about this is that there when there is a market for something when people come up with a way to solve a problem you know, like we have all these issues with nurses being burned out. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they don't want to go be around COVID all day. Or maybe they decide they want to go do something else. You know, it's not so demanding with all the hours and all that. So what happens? Well, we come up with these robots that can come in there. Sure, go ahead. Go work somewhere else where you want to be. That's fine. You should go work somewhere else that you would like better. And that's the thing with robots in general, not just for, for healthcare facilities, but it, what it does is it opens up that talent to be used in other places, perhaps in a brand new industry that's developed because somebody thinks of something else because they ain't got to be thinking about taking care of them damn patients no more. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. If there is a more efficient use of your time, then it ends up being better for everyone. And it's always scary in these transitions when this starts happening because what you see are maybe jobs that are taking away. Now, this robot's carrying, uh, you know, diapers from one room to another. You know, that's uh, that's what this robot's doing. It's not exactly uh, doing surgeries or anything like that yet. Uh, but eventually, that's it's going to be the case. And what's really important is that people are doing the most efficient use of whatever their time and their skills are. And sometimes jobs go away, but then there's new things that pop up that we we have no idea what they are. We have no telling. There's no telling what those jobs are going to be. Could be a farmer on Mars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we still don't need people carrying around glass bottles of milk and dropping off at people's doors anymore. We don't need people going around lighting mm -hmm. the lamps on the streets anymore. Those are jobs that are taken away. There's not near as many jobs of people shoeing horses as there used to be. You're mm -hmm. picking up horse poo from the roads, you know, but those people found more efficient uses. So Plus, there were too many milk delivery babies. Mm-hmm. I heard. <laughs> It's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah, really big problem. It's a big problem in the 50s. Mm -hmm. I heard about it. Yeah, we finally made it past that point. <laughs> See, the market solves all the problems. Okay. All right. The next one has to do with uh, with climate change. Mm. Why do we talk so much about climate change on White Pill Wednesday? Because there's a lot of cool stuff. Because that, Elon Musk 
who's a white person <laughs> is a yeah. racist and wants to see the world destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it. That's the mo That's why we talk about mm-hmm. it for sure. That's definitely the if reason. Only he, if only the richest man in the world would do something about climate change. You know what's interesting now that you mentioned Elon Musk and climate change together? I believe it was Elon who got who switched both of us from ah uh, no such thing as climate. Who screw it? Yeah, let's freaking just pour oil all over the place, just rub it all over everything. <laughs> let's 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 put it on the airplane, spread it out in the air out there. Screw it. Who cares? These gall darn liberals making up stuff, you know. I want to build a tower of Babylon out no of oil, problem. straight up to heaven. You know, uh, he just said something so simply on Joe Rogan's podcast. They're like, oh, you know, it's not a good thing that there's carbon that's in the ground and we take it, we put it in the air. You know, it can't be a, a good thing long term that we're doing that. And I'm like, okay. I can't really argue with you on that. Maybe it is best to we not actually just watch do that. that at the same time. And mm-hmm. we both had a discussion about that afterwards. Yeah. Like, Hang on a second. And that is what I found typically is, is the best route, the best way to go. We've talked about these books about climate change and the climate catastrophes that aren't actually happening right now. And they always start off with, Hey, this is a real thing. This is a problem and that we do need to address it and try to have cleaner energy. But that doesn't mean we need to do any of the things that the government is proposing right now. The market can solve these problems and it will solve these problems. It also doesn't mean that we're going to all die tomorrow. No, no, not at all. We actually have time. There is time. Yeah. Yeah. Because because the, the effect that we do have on the climate is so minuscule compared to the the universe and then the reason that it becomes important that we talk about this is as we normally say when we talk about this the climate change the green new deal type legislation is going to be the biggest boondoggle that we've ever seen it's going to be covid times a million in my opinion that doesn't sound very white pilling but you take every control that they put over the economy in your life in the last couple of years when we finally get to the proper stage of panic with climate change, it's uh, COVID is going to be a goal that we strive for. And they issue the, the emergencies. Yeah. So they have emergency use authorization. Yeah. And so what's really important is when we get to that point, we all need to be as educated on the truth and facts as we possibly can, because there's going to need to be some people putting out some rationality out there if we're still allowed to at that point. Okay. But I, under, I understand why people are so adverse to it because it's like essentially all the climate, you know, champions, uh, they're like, hey, idiot, mm-hmm. let me tell you something. You're too stupid to understand it. Let me tell you what's going on. Now, who wants to listen to that, right? Now, let me, let me give you, let's bring us back into the white pill zone. Okay. Have you seen the, well, I can't remember what it's called now, but let me explain it. No, to I haven't you. seen it. I know you haven't seen that. But uh, there was a guy who did basically the last 13.8 billion years into one year. If the Big Bang started on January 1st. Oh, I've seen some of that, yeah. Okay. And then the end of the world was December 31st. Or uh, right now is December 31st. Mm -hmm. Then literally all of human history, all of human history has taken place in the last 10 seconds. (laughs) Like, that's how long humans have been around. All of, well, human history. 
That's pretty. That we know of. That's a pretty good way of talking about it. Yeah. And it's in a way that everyone can understand because exactly. we all understand that measurement of time. So literally, ten seconds is all we've been yeah. around when you can when you condense everything down to a year. And so, the white pill about that is is that we're I think we're doing pretty good mm -hmm. comparatively. There are problems. There's lots of problems. We need to solve them. But let's have a little gratitude. You know, I, I was reading the other day that like, if you replace some things in life with gratitude then it helps shift your mindset and then you can start to look at things through a different light. Yeah. So. That's, I heard that in the book one time mm -hmm. as well. Maybe it's yeah. the same one. I don't know. Okay. So this is not exactly a new innovation, but we do get to talk about some of these predictions that have been made and where we're actually at right now. Is the Arctic ice about to disappear? This is from human progress. In 2009, the BBC ran a reporting piece on the Arctic featuring the polar scientist, Peter Wadhams, of Cambridge. It does look like Wadhams. The the Catlin Arctic Survey hey, uh, hey, uh, had just returned with its findings. How long did the Arctic ice cover have left? This is in 2009. The results were terrifying. The survey reported the new consensus view that the rapid melting of sea ice will turn this frozen landscape into an open ocean within 20 years and that much of that decrease will be happening within 10 years. Mm. Uh, three years after uh, that, Wadhams predicted that an ice-free Arctic would occur in 2015 or 2016, describing a global disaster. He said that the historical trend was clear, and that by 2016 or 2017, just push it back a little bit more, the central Arctic will be ice-free. You will be able to cross over the North Pole by ship. Mm. This is in 2012, by the way. It said three years after the 2009 thing, in 2012, making those predictions. We only had four or five years left. In 2016, The Guardian ran a weekend long-form piece with Wadhams. Although Wadhams repeated his warnings of an imminent ice-free Arctic, he was more balanced, suggesting that the prediction game of when ice-free Arctic may or may not happen takes away from the more important point. Let's not get wrapped up in all the predictions I made a few years yeah. ago. Okay. There's more important stuff. You know what's more important? The debate over exactly when the Arctic will become ice-free is distracting attention from the more important issue, which is how fast and in what manner the Arctic sea ice will retreat. <laughs> Sounds like the same thing. Yeah, it's a, kind of the same thing. Wadham's predictions didn't come true in 2016 or in any year since. In fact, the lows of the Arctic sea ice extent in 2021 was 16% above what it was when he uttered those fateful words in 2016. So the the ice has actually increased. Since he was making those predictions, yeah. What's it? I mean, that's not just a little bit wrong. It's like really, really it's wrong. Like in it's the super opposite wrong. direction yeah. wrong. It's very wrong. He's it's not like alone. shorting Tesla at 500. <laughs> He's not alone in making these predictions in 2007. Professor Maslowski, we've talked about him before, projected that the Arctic would be ice-free by 2013. It's in 2007 making those predictions. Based on state-of-the-art modeling and 50 years worth of data. Mm. In an annual By review, the way, this just goes to show you what you can do with data oh, yeah. and statistics and then like literally have no idea what's actually going to happen. Yeah. In an annual review of Earth and Planetary Sciences article in 2012, Maslowski and three co-authors updated this figure to 2016, plus or minus three years. Still wrong. Those years came and went, and there's no ice-free Arctic. 
More recently, Harvard professor James Anderson said in 2018 that the chance of any permanent ice left in the Arctic by 2022 was essentially zero. God bless America. In 2018. Now see, the, 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 the problem with this, though, is you have these professors teaching these kids mm -hmm. and instilling fear inside of them yep. that, that like this should be your only goal in life is stopping climate change. Yeah. And they come out, they turn into little Toonbergs. They go around to all the meetings, yelling yep. at people from their private jets about how the world's going to end. The danger that these climate scientists give voice to is real and important. The reality is just nowhere near as bad as they say. While a more resilient Arctic is bad for the predictions of all of those people, it's actually good news for our climate arena drenched in pessimism. We could actually be optimistic about something. And we'll talk, well, we'll talk more on that in a second. In January 2022, sea ice in the Arctic was at its largest extent in over a decade. But strangely, the NASA press release reported it under the heading, NASA finds 2022 Arctic winter sea ice the 10th lowest on record. 10th lowest. Yeah, this was at its highest amount in a decade, but it was the 10th lowest on record. And by the way, the records, they started keeping those in 1979. Contrary to what we might learn, and by the way, the technology to measure all that has dramatically increased in mm -hmm. the last 15 or so years. You know, they weren't, they weren't bouncing all the same laser beams and using satellites to look at them at that time. Because they didn't have the sharks. It was much different. They, they had to have the, the world's longest tape measure that they were running across the Arctic ice. A lot of people didn't make it through there, but they kept carrying the tape. And someone else would just keep carrying the tape. And they were running across the mm. ice right there. And they eventually got the entire... Anyway. It was the Arctic <laughs> Ragnar race is yeah, what it was. Yeah, the same thing. Same, same thing. Rum, rum Springer. <laughs> Contrary to what we might learn... From casually browsing the newspaper headlines, we likely can we will likely to con continue to have ice in the Arctic for a long time. We had, they talk about how we have a lot of ice; an eighth of the Earth's land is covered by ice. And then he talked about which we mentioned this story already. As he was writing it, he or she actually didn't look. Dang it! No, not to delve into biology during this conversation. You should know that. As I'm Especially writing we're this, we're talking about science. I know. Right? I know. Oh, my gosh. News broke about a New York-sized ice shelf in East Antarctica that crashed into the sea after a freakish warm spell. But buried two-thirds down the AP press release was a confession from both of the scientists that they interviewed saying that it was probably just a random weather event and not a sign of climate change. Remember talking about that one? Mm -hmm. Predictably, the news coverage was anything, uh, but, uh, you know, it wasn't balanced. We'll just say that. It was one, one thing. So they talk about how news, news like that gives you this constant stream of emergencies. Earlier in this article that we didn't read, they talk about how there's always something related to the weather or to the climate or to the temperature. And with our global news, you can always run a news story about some random place that hit a record or had some type of bad weather event. And they're, they're all incentivized to talk about that. And you always see those articles, and that creates the perception in your head that we have this emergency happening right now. And you can cherry pick the data mm -hmm. to support whatever. It's like, look, I'm not lying. Yeah. I'm just manipulating the data. Was NASA lying that it was the 10th lowest on record? No. No, it wasn't. But the record keeping began in 1979. It was the highest it had been in 10 years. They could have easily ran a headline saying that. Mm -hmm. Why would you run that headline? It was just completely misleading. Mm -hmm. We really need to do like a Liberty fact check. We do. Missing context, mm -hmm. misleading headlines.
So the good parts about this, when you get little stories like this, and I always recommend humanprogress.org or good news network, stuff like that. We've actually got more time before this catastrophic event than, than what we think. Okay. That's, that's one good thing. And when you, when, if you can just get people to realize that, First off, maybe start from a standpoint of, okay, maybe it's not the best thing in the world to remove carbon from the ground and then pump it up into the atmosphere. That there is a limit to which that would not harm anything. That eventually that played out to its logical conclusion that that could be a bad thing over time. Mm. Just saying it that way. All right. Because that's how Elon Musk was able to convince us. Plus, we'll do basically anything he says. So, kidding. I won't. No, no, it was a joke. You will, (laughs) Nate. Um, But that means if you can get people to focus on the fact that we're not in an emergency right now, that there's actually time, then we could talk about how there could be other solutions other than taking all of the world's wealth and putting it into this big climate change New Deal boondoggle and destroying all the world's economies in the process. word of advice for for any... if you're actually in a crisis situation, the last person, the last people you want to listen to are the ones panicking, mm. by the way. Mm-hmm. You seek out the calm, cool, collected person in any type of crisis, and then you know, like, okay, I, this is like rational decision-making amidst all the chaos. Or you just go up to those panicking people and say, hey, calm down. That's never yeah. been a bad thing before. Especially if they're biologically female. Yeah. You just say, calm down. <laughs> you guys have all done it before. It works perfectly. There's nothing bad that happens afterwards. No. It, everyone knows that politely requesting that someone calms down, mm-hmm. that they just get calm afterwards. Okay. Exactly. There you go. No, but um, I, I do think that we need to focus on finding the solutions, which other people are finding the solutions. We'll just have to focus on highlighting what those are. Okay, Uh, because there are actual ways to solve this. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you what, they're going to be taking a ton of your money, a ton of our future productive resources, a ton of our future potential society that we could have and pouring it into Galdern inefficient solar solar panels or something like that. And this to me is going to be the the absolute biggest battle that we're going to have to face uh, other than nuclear war with Russia. Uh, that this will be maybe number two on that list because they're going to be destroying economies in the process of fighting this. It's actually not as bad as what they say it is. And we can get on an even playing field with people and say, yeah, you're right. That is a problem. It is. We should do something about that. Um, I just, I don't know if the government's the best way to do this, you know? And it turns out we've had, I know that they said this, but we've actually got more time. So couldn't we just, you know, look into this other thing? I know you said that you don't know if the government's the best. They're definitely not. Yeah. Anyone other than the government. Another thing I wanted to point out is like, think about how wrong somebody in the live group pointed out the COVID models. Think about how many errors these models have. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was one thing I thought Jordan Peterson did a good job of talking about because he's in statistics and modeling and his data when it comes to being a social scientist, right? They aggregate data from different uh, forms that are filled out or whatever, different experiments, and you try to model it out or whatever. But if you think about as you keep going further, the, the more mistakes are made because you only have a limited amount of quasi-truthful data, especially when it comes to temperatures, okay? 
We have no like I've actually gone and read some of the journals so I could get I can get it from the horse's ass. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've gone and read some mm-hmm. of them journals out there. Yeah, the literal the literal margin of error is plus or minus one degree Celsius. Now they want you to freak out because if we if it gets one degree Celsius warmer, we're all dead. Mm. But the margin of error is one degree Celsius plus or minus in either direction. Like we could be one degree hotter than what we actually think we are or one degree not hot, or we could be right somewhere in between. Okay. So you have to take all of that stuff into consideration as well. When you're looking at uh, data and statistics or any type, anytime that you're trying to model something out all in any, in any way or fashion. And so it takes calm, cool, collected people to sift through those things and realize, okay, this could be a problem. Um, let's range out what we have and then see if, see if those experiments come true. You also and then be able to own your mistakes and say, oh, you know, I thought by 2016. That's literally what I was interjecting I thought, to say. What was Al Gore's prediction? By 2000? By 2000? It changes every couple, couple of years from now. It's yeah. like be able to own that and be like, yeah, I was kind of wrong about that. But, but they don't want to because at the end of the day, they're self-interested and they get paid a lot of money to speak about climate change. Yeah, I mean, do you so think they're going to go the, around the world collecting their dollars, speaking about climate change and how horrible everyone else is except for them? Do you think that James Anderson from Harvard, who said in 2018 that the chance of any permanent ice left in the Arctic by 2022 was essentially zero, the chance was essentially zero by 2022? I just looked at my clock. I mean, it's 2022 right now. Mm. Do you think he's uh, done talking about climate change or no. anything like that? Like, no, no. It's a plus or minus 10 years. That's what he forgot. The, they probably just didn't print that part right yeah. there. Uh, and so the problem with, is that they don't admit when they're wrong and they don't admit that there is a limit to what they know and that there are things that they don't know. And there are things that they don't even know that they don't know. There's unknown unknowns that they, they have no idea what they are. And that's always what bothers me that, that you don't know everything. They probably know more than we do when it comes to the climate more than likely but they don't realize that there are things they don't know. And until they start admitting that, people aren't going to believe a gall darn word they say. Mm -mm. All right, let's go. I sure don't. All right, y'all, if you enjoyed today's episode, please hit that follow button. Share the show with a friend, a family member, a foe, and the children. Save it to your – share it. Sorry, not save it. Share it to your climate deniers and your climate enthusiasts. And if you do all those things, we'll be back again tomorrow for we're back to the black pill. I can't wait. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Until then, I hope you guys have a good day and a good morning. Liberty.